It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. guys welcome heatwave sports i'm tom barton from TomBartonSports.com. tim unglesby is taking the night off he's got uh, other things to do for tonight tomorrow night we start our nfl preview so i told him rest up relax and let's get going for tomorrow night but we have two hours of sports talk for you unlv will be at the top of the list of course look unlv has a game under their belt they call it week zero in college football but a lot of news a lot of uh, information a lot of opinions coming out of this game, and I want to give my two cents. I'll tell you what I talked to Tim about. We want to hear from you as well. 876-1340, 876-1340, at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter as well. We also have to get into the rest of the college football board because, look, Scott Frost, Nebraska, you wanted him to succeed. He's a nice enough guy, but, man, we have to talk about that. Hawaii is getting it put to them right now. Nevada, New Mexico are kind of in a closer game than they should have been in. Florida State didn't have a problem today. Illinois didn't have a problem today. North Carolina didn't have a problem today. So we'll talk a lot of college football early on. We'll take a quick look ahead to next week. A couple of thoughts that I have there. In the NFL, we did have some injuries and some news going on. Look, we don't often talk about kickers, but two kickers went down for teams that, yeah, look, they think they're a playoff team, and one team thinks they're a Super Bowl team, so we'll talk about that. We do have some position battles to get into as well. And our number two, we're going to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. The Yankees are in all kinds of trouble with one of the weirdest injuries you're ever going to hear. We will get into that. The Mariners just lost the lead here late. I want to talk about the Mariners. Yeah, everyone's excited about them. Everyone's giving them the push. I want to get into the Mariners and a little Mariner talk and see if they are a team. I know a lot of people are going out there and they're betting them and they still think they have value and that bullpen is fantastic. Yeah, all of that is true, but I want to take a hard look at them as well as the New York Mets and the chase that the Mets and the Braves and even Philly, who all of a sudden, here we go, Bryce Harper comes back and they are now a formidable team that I told you they would be right around the beginning of September. So we will get into a lot of stuff tonight, but look, leading us off, We've got to get into the college football scoreboard here. I'll tell you what we're looking at. Vanderbilt's up 42-10 in the third. Nevada up 17-9. Just a couple of ticks left in the third. They are on the 17-yard line with a fourth down, though. North Texas UTEP, 31-13. North Texas leads, and they have the ball at about midfield. About five minutes left on the clock there. You know, look. I know that it's week zero, and it kind of sneaks up on you here. It's in August. It sort of sneaks up that college football is here, but it is here. And these are maybe not the most highlight games, but it can give you a little glimpse into the college football season, into a couple of teams here and there. And although we may not be talking about a national championship, it certainly gives you a jumping off point to get out of the gates and to get that win. For a team like Florida State that's trying to find their way, or a team like Nebraska trying to find their way, it was pretty vital to get a win today, and a convincing win. And it's kind of how you win, not that you win, right? Um, The same thing, look, sports betting, it's the same thing. I didn't give a huge level play today, but I do have a play. I have the North Texas UTEP under. 
Okay, uh, I feel good about it. Uh, that's monitored. You guys can go check that out everywhere. I'm feeling pretty good with five minutes to go. Am I going to do a dance? Am I going to celebrate? I'm going to tell you that I'm the greatest ever. TomBartonSports.com, undefeated in college football. No, but listen, it's better than a loss, right? So it, it's a matter of how you win and, and how you go about things today, which brings me to UNLV. And this UNLV team had a good win. There's nothing you can say but a good win. Uh, Brumfield hit Ricky White for that 72-yard touchdown. He finished basically a half of football here. 351 yards, four touchdowns. What you're taking away from UNLV is as important as the beatdown that they did put out. And it's a solid beatdown, right? I mean, the spread got up to, the spread was about 25-26. Spread got up to 27-27 and a half. Uh, they beat it. Uh, they, they won by 31 points. Um, so they beat the spread. Barely beat it. I know people say, well, they barely, who cares? I don't care if you, you beat it by one or not. It's a convincing win. It was a good win all around. Not a lot of, of negative things you can say if you're a UNLV backer. Brumfield played really, really well. We do understand Williams and White, they're good receivers. Explosive is the word that you would use behind this team when you watch them on offense today. Robbins ran really well. It looks like he's going to be the guy. I liked a lot of things that I saw with UNLV. How could you not? They not only were up 45-7 to seven in the first half, they pulled all their starters, right? I mean, basically everybody, everybody. You look at Reese was the leading rusher. Even though Robbins looked good, Reese was the leading rusher. He only carried the ball seven times because he didn't have to carry it anymore. He didn't have to do anything else. White, eight receptions, 182 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't have to do anything else. Pull him out of the game, right? Um, we have to take the game, though, for what it is. And I told you guys this last year, and I told you guys this during the week. Do not get too high about this game at all. You have to take this game for what it was. Now, if they had gone out there and won the game by 20, I wouldn't have been bashing them either, okay, depending on how they got there, depending on how this team executed the way to get there. There's nothing I can say poorly uh, was executed in any way, shape, or form about the offense. The offense today was fantastic. Quarterback was working. The running game did what it needed to do, especially when they knew you were running. I I liked to see that late. The receivers, like I said, explosive is the word that I would use for these receivers. That's what they look. And it gives you a lot of hope moving forward if you're a UNLV fan. It gives you a lot of energy moving forward. This was the win. You had to get it. You got it. It was a win that I think we all expected a double-digit win. Uh, most people expected a cover. I wasn't sure. I, I actually said I'll probably take Ohio State, Idaho State if I had to, but I wasn't putting money on it because I knew the UNLV offense was going to be an explosive unit compared to what we watched last year. I also understood Idaho State was not very good. I also understood that Idaho State was going to have their problems. When we previewed this game, and we previewed it last week. We touched on it. A couple of weeks ago, we touched on the schedule as well. The prevailing thought was that Idaho State's defense is just terrible. But what would UNLV's defense look like? You know, I wasn't overly upset with them letting up 21. Um, I think that they lost focus. I think that they left, you know, let the dogs off late in the game. But I didn't like leave. I didn't like leaving the first quarter 10-7. Right? I mean, that was a little too close for comfort. But you go, okay, no problem. You're nitpicking, Tom. Yeah, I am nitpicking. Okay, I'm trying to give you two sides of a coin here. I'm trying to give you the 
other side of the equation, for example. But I talked to Tim today, and he basically said, what, what was their defense? You can't be happy about their defense. They let up 21 points to a, a completely overpowered Idaho State team. I know that you were up huge, but you and you play in your backups. You still don't want to put up to let up 21 points in that spot, especially an early touchdown. And you could argue Idaho State probably should have had at least one more score, at least one more score. So I think a lot of the defensive problems are still there. But I'm not going to be that guy. I'm speaking for Tim just because we talked. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to get too high right now, and I'm not going to get too low on this team. I think what we see moving forward is encouraging. But I caution you, for the next week here, pump the brakes. All you're going to hear on every UNLV station or every station in Vegas, pumping up the Rebels, how great they looked, how incredible they looked. Oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. And they actually, you know, look, they don't play again now for 12 days. So they have kind of two weeks to just revel in this. And, oh, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, you're going to hear it coming down. But remember, it's Idaho State, right? I mean, just, just remember, it is still Idaho State. We can't get too up and can't get too down about this team because of that. Before the year began, we all sat around and said, yo, we're going to give them that win. We're going to give them that win. I said, look, I'll, I'll even give them 3-0, and but I think they're going to get out of these, these games at 2-1. and I do think North Texas can be a little bit tricky. But none of this really matters. It's how you look. There's nothing bad I can say about this offense today. I think this, this offense can compete with anybody in their conference. I think this offense has shown Okay, game one, it's a new style. It's going to be fast. It's going to be in your face. It's going to be let's score. I still do worry about the defense. I've worried about the defense for a couple of years. I think they are undersized up front. And what that has done year after year is allowed teams, when they have a lead, to sort of lean on UNLV. This year, though, they do have those playmakers on offense. So maybe late in the game, they're just do the old throw it up and, and kind of hope for the best ball. Yeah, you can have that idea, but I don't want to get too high or too low about this game. They won the game. It's a convincing win. It's a celebratory win. Yeah, sure, celebrate this. Enjoy it, but understand who you were playing. Understand the environment that that team was coming into. We don't look at UNLV as this you know, beat-all team. I mean, uh, they haven't made a bowl game in years and years and years, right? And they're just not a perennial winner. I don't want to call them constant losers, but look, they are what they are. But this is a big jump from Idaho State, right? I mean, this is a big jump to go into that stadium, which is awe-inspiring as as itself, to go into that stadium, uh, to go out there and play that kind of football team, that kind of game. They were just completely outmatched. You know, they're playing the Idahos, the Weber States, the Northern Arizonas, the Montana States, the Cal Polys of the world. It's on their schedule this year, guys. They scheduled UNLV at UNLV in a place that is intimidating. It's a pro stadium. And then they go to San Diego State next week. So I think that is kind of a litmus test, isn't it? I, I, I don't like to compare opponents directly, okay? But the next time Idaho State goes out there, it's going to be actually in the, in the two weeks. The next time Idaho State goes out there in two weeks, We're going to see them at San Diego State. Well, let's see what they look like. 
San Diego State goes out there and, and suffocates them in a similar manner, okay, well, maybe Idaho State is just that pathetic, right? But if Idaho State can keep this relatively close, they could score you know, 17, 20 points on San Diego State. Now you don't feel so bad about this. So a lot has to be made about what's coming up next. Enjoy this win, Rebel fans. Just make sure you pause. Don't get overexcited about this win because it's a solid win, and that's all it is. It's a win is a win is a win, right? You say that all uh, Bill Parcells. You're as good as your record, right? A win is a win is a win. You're going to take it all day. It's an impressive 30-plus point win. You're going to take that all day. For those that you bet on it, look, you're going to take the cover. I don't care if it was just a cover or not. Yep, you're going to take that all day. Everything is good for UNLV. I don't have a lot of bad things to say about them tonight. Except, guys, it was Idaho State, right? So let's just pump the brakes. I don't think that this shows that there's a brand new culture in town. I don't think that this shows that they're going to have a a bowl kind of season. I don't think that this shows anything more. Take a game at a time. I know it's such coach speak, but take a game at a time. You got this game. You did exactly what you needed to do in this game. You impressed the fan base. You impressed people watching. Brumfield looked great. Reese looked good. Robbins looked good. Williams and White looked explosive. White looked phenomenal. The offense looked unstoppable at times. But the defense had a little bit, a little bit of problem. The defense, you could kind of argue a little that you want to see more out of them. You can nitpick. And tomorrow morning, Coach Arroyo should be nitpicking. He should be showing the tape. You don't want to say, hey, great job. I'll pat everybody on the back. No, no, no. Look, hey, we did our work. We beat the team we're supposed to beat. We beat them by about what we were supposed to beat them by. This is the score I expected. This is the offense I expected. Got to clean some stuff up on D. And that's what I'd be looking at. It's encouraging. It feels good. It's something that we should be smiling about. Just don't get overly excited. I don't think if I told anybody going into the season that they were going to win this game by 30, many people would have been like, oh, I'm shocked. No, this was about the outcome that most people assumed. This is about the type of game that we all kind of assumed. So just take it for what it's worth. Enjoy the next two weeks. Cal is the test. And not only is Cal the test, I'm really interested to see how this team stacks up against a San Diego State in San Diego State the next time Idaho State plays them. I know it's a two-week off, it's a layoff and everything else, but it'll be an interesting comparison. All right, let's take a quick timeout, come on back. Lots more college football to do. Scott Frost goes down because of him. They lost today because of him, because of boneheaded coaching play, and I'm tired of defending him. It's just time to make a move. It's time to make a change. All that and more right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heat Face Sports, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here. Cash that ticket. Anybody that is TomBartonSports.com, clients out there, cash that ticket. 31-13, North Texas beats UTEP. It was under 55. I know it went to 54.5. Doesn't matter at all. 44 total points. North Texas with a, a, a just, I mean, let's be honest, a, a complete beatdown here. And they just completely took over in the second half, outscoring them 17-0 in the second half. That's a North Texas team, guys. UNLV is going to see in three weeks. It's a North Texas team, guys, that I said, ah, be careful about this team. Be cautious about this team. I know they lost some transfer portal, guys, but I've been saying it uh, for a couple of weeks now. They go on the road 
tough UTEP team, and they get the win. And they get a very convincing win at that. I didn't expect that to happen, but I did expect their defense to step up, which it did. You guys want to go check out TomBartonSports.com. I, I have all of my college football futures plays up right now. And I also have all of my NFL futures plays up. So if you sign up with me, not only are you going to get tomorrow's play, uh, which is actually a baseball play, you would have gotten today's college football play. You get everything I give out, and all of my futures plays are up on the board. So that is a final. Nevada, New Mexico. Nevada is up 20-9, to but they're struggling here. Listen, they had a 17. It was nothing-nothing for a school as first. And then they had a 17-2 to lead for a long time, it seemed like. New Mexico scored. Nevada came back down with three. So it's 20 to nine. New Mexico's driving, though. Uh, they're past midfield here. First down, past midfield into Nevada territory. I'll keep you up to date there. About, about 11 minutes to go, under a little under 11 minutes to go there in the fourth quarter. So I'll keep you up to date on that. Vanderbilt, Hawaii. This is the bailout game, right? It's the Hawaii game. I think Chang is going to be real good there in Hawaii. I loved watching him uh, play. I loved watching him set records. I think he will install a new culture there. I think we're going way more offense eventually in Hawaii, but he just doesn't have the guys to do it yet. I didn't like Vanderbilt going to the island. It was a tough game to be laying double digits or or near double digits. Uh, Vanderbilt is absolutely spanking the Warriors, 56-10. to The the ball is being punted back to them. They're probably going to get it back at about midfield. This one's going to get ugly as it heads into the fourth quarter. Nothing is going right for Hawaii right now. Absolutely nothing at all. Um, right for Vanderbilt as two touchdowns rushing, two touchdowns passing. Uh, he's got over 300 total yards on the day. He is a one-man wrecking crew for the Hawaii Warriors, and that one is just an absolute blowout. So not much to keep you. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you up to date with all the scoring, but not much Keep you up to date with the scoring there at all. You got the whole fourth quarter to go, and Hawaii's dead in the water. The Nevada-New Mexico game, this could get interesting. Uh, let, let's look earlier today. No real reason to talk about Western Kentucky, Austin Pay. Uh, you know, obviously, Utah State beat UConn. UConn had a good day, though. I mean, Carter had 190 yards for UConn. UConn was in this thing. They really started to... To, to turn some ads, the crowd excitement was pretty cool, and uh, you know, for that game, and especially the UConn traveling section. But ooh, doesn't matter. Utah State wins, comes away with a hard-fought win, harder than I think a lot of people thought it was going to be. Illinois spanked Wyoming, absolutely all over Wyoming, thirty-eight to six in Illinois. Uh, Billima's first game of the year there. You look at this, you go. Wyoming was going to have some growing pains. They didn't even get on the scoreboard. They didn't even score a touchdown here. Florida State with absolutely no problem over uh, Duquesne, although they didn't cover the spread. It was minus 43. Florida State wins 47-7. to What I saw with Florida State was you have real good pass rush, uh, a real good a secondary. The pass rush was lacking. They're going to be able to run the ball all day long, and they're going to be able to run the ball on anybody. Florida State has a three-headed rushing attack that really could – Really could cause problems in that ACC. Uh, again, it's against Duquesne. Not getting too high on them, but they looked real good. I do still worry about Travis, quarterback. Just don't think he's the guy. Florida Atlantic wins 43-13. And North Carolina, and their defense struggles a little bit against Florida A&M, but they get a 56-24 win there. Five touchdowns. 
for the new quarterback for UNC, Mr. May, over there. And then the last game, which was the first game, Northwestern beats Nebraska 31-28 in Dublin, Ireland. This is a, a shocking ending to a game that we shouldn't be shocked that it ended like this. Scott Frost in his tenure in Nebraska just consistently loses close games. He consistently, last year, Scott Frost lost nine games by a touchdown or less. Nine games, guys. They are a team that just can't finish the game. If you listen to the announcers today, they said Fitzgerald, the coach for Northwestern, was daring Nebraska to kind of finish the game. Nebraska had a lead into the third quarter into this game. Nebraska had a lead going into the fourth quarter in this game. Nebraska just really just shot themselves in the foot, and it is 100% the head coach's problem. 100% his fault today. That you can't, there's nothing you can tell me to say that what he did today was the right move. Absolutely not. And I'll explain it to everybody. Nebraska goes down, takes the, the leading touchdown. They have all the momentum in their hand. They look like they're going to go on and win this game. And they try to onside kick. What the heck was that? I mean, I, I don't even understand the move. I don't even understand the mindset behind the move. It didn't make any sense at all. After the game, Frost comes to the microphone and he says, you know, it was all on me. Yeah, we know that, coach. We get it. It was all on you. No, Nobody, nobody is arguing that. Of course it was all on you. Who else is going to be on? Of course it was all on you. And he, he says this as if it was like some revelation. Guys, Nebraska is one of those teams that they had Tom Osborne, but it was a different college football atmosphere back then. Tom Osborne is the greatest coach of all time. Uh, that, that's it. By the way, period, end of sentence. I'm not even getting into that tonight, okay? Uh, my wife's a Bobby Bowden fan. She thinks that it's Bowden. I have people that will argue Paterno. I have people that will argue Saban. The college football landscape has always been skewed. It's always been leaning towards one way or the other, towards the SEC, towards Alabama, who shouldn't have been in a couple of title games, towards recruiting, towards uh, the fact that Nebraska had to play in four straight Orange Bowls and six of seven even though they were a team in Nebraska, is just disgusting in itself. Uh, so to me, there's no question about it. When you lose a coach like that, it's going to take some time, but it should not have taken this long. I have defended Scott Frost time and time again. I have defended trust the process. I have defended the fact, well, Nebraska can't recruit like they used to. I have defended and defended and defended. I'm done. I am done defending this man. I am done. It, 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 enough is enough. He's got to go. I, I mean, that's just the way it is. He has to go. You have to look at this program and say, you're moving into a new generation. You're moving into a generation now where there are nil deals all over the place. You're moving into a generation where the transfer portal is massive. You're moving into a generation where they are admitting that this is a pure business move at this point. Nebraska is a huge, huge fan base. Nebraska can get some of the piece of that pie. Nebraska can get some of that revenue. But they can't do it by losing. You cannot lose this game. I don't care it was in Ireland. Okay? 
And I don't care that you were nearly a two-touchdown favorite. You can't lose this game when you have control of the game. It's not that they lost, which I would have been upset about anyway. It's how they lost. How they lost was pathetic. How they lost was 100% on coaching. You know, you can look back and a team loses close game after close game after close game. And you start to have the conversation about, uh, well, you know what? Uh, ball bounced the wrong way and oh, things are just not on our side. And oh, well, we didn't have luck in the Irish. Whatever you want to say. But this was a boneheaded coaching decision. This was a boneheaded coaching move. There's no other way around it. The team was poorly coached overall. But this was a direct result of bad coaching. And this was supposed to be the Nebraska coming out party. This was supposed to be, look, it's a new year in Nebraska. This was supposed to be, okay, Scott Frost, here we go. You're off the hot seat. You don't have to win you know, a, a championship this year, but make, make, our, make, make us competitive. Make us competitive if you're a Husker fan. You didn't see that today. Nearly two touchdown favorite, you lose, and you lose as a direct result of bad coaching. I thought it was a feel-good story. He leaves a program that he rebuilt, goes on to Nebraska. He walks into that, that clubhouse, and this is who they wanted. The favorite son is back. He's had success coaching elsewhere. He has he just proven now he's got to go. I mean, this was the final straw and if you went on and you saw people that I know that uh, that just defended him year after year, time after time, that's it. I, I mean, I mean that, that's it. it. It's over. It, it's over. You can't sit here and tell me in any way, shape, or form that he can go out there and he can save his job. Right? I, I, how, how can you possibly sit here? Since hiring Scott Frost in 2018, Nebraska is 5-21 and 21 in one-score games. That's the worst in college football. Of course it is. That is an indictment on the coach. The onside kick play today, that, with the momentum completely on your side, with Northwestern's backs against the wall, that was one of the more bonehead plays that you'll see all season and happened in game one. Scott Frost is going to be gone. And I think that now the question is, after going through Callahan and, and how many other coaches, the question is now in Nebraska, who's next? And, and you have to start asking that because there's no saving this season. Right? I mean, there is no saving the season right now. Things have gone woefully bad. For Nebraska, and I feel like the tires could completely fall off if they haven't already. Long way away from Tom Osborne. You had Frank Solich there. Listen, Frank Solich won. Frank Solich 58 19. Frank Solich won a national championship. Frank Solich, a uh, Big 12 championship, Big 12 North championship. Frank Solich was fine. Then you had Bill Callahan. He got one Big North championship. But Barely over 500. Bo Pelini, winning record. Didn't do anything really with it. Mike Riley was exactly 500. And now Scott Frost. Scott Frost is 15 and 30. 
15 and 30, guys. In conference, 10 and 26. Scott Frost is an unmitigated disaster. I, and that, that's what you saw today. And no, I, I will not be saying this. I would not be saying this had they just lost the game. I would be saying, you know what? I think he's even on a hotter seat. Maybe I would be going out here and saying, I don't think maybe he completes the season. Okay. Or, or he comes back next year, but I'm in the position where he might not complete the season. I, I mean, this, this could go woefully wrong. And you look at their schedule, like North Dakota and Georgia Southern at home, where if they had any backbone, they'd boo Scott Frost, but people in Nebraska are way too nice to probably do that. Then you have, do, do they have a chance? Look, they do have four home games in a row. Do they have a chance at home against Oklahoma? Do, do they have a prayer against Oklahoma? No. No, they don't. How about Indiana at home? I mean, to me, that's a 50-50 game. At Rutgers? Huh. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't Nebraska the underdog there? At Purdue? I don't know if you win that game. Illinois at home, probably a win. Minnesota's going to be better than people think. I've been talking about Minnesota all offseason. Minnesota's going to be decent this year. At Michigan, your door is blown off. Wisconsin and then at Iowa. At Michigan, Wisconsin, at Iowa, uh, all at the end of the year. Loss, loss, loss. They're going to lose at Purdue. They're going to lose at Oklahoma. Right? They're going to lose against Minnesota, too. So you get an Illinois win, maybe. An Indiana win, maybe. Maybe they pull it off against Rutgers and then North Dakota and Georgia. So you're looking at a four or five win season. You're Nebraska. Four or five wins. That's absolutely pathetic, guys. Again, this is week one or week zero. I love how they're calling it week zero. This is week zero here. Okay. At week zero, you shouldn't be making these massive reactions. But I am. Scott Rush just, just nailed his coffin shut. Scott Frost will not be the coach of Nebraska this time next year. It's over. It's absolutely over. The schedule was set up with them with four home games. The schedule was set up that he has a good year. People were excited about the transfers that came in. People were excited about this team. People started buying into it, drinking the Kool-Aid once again, and they spit it out all over the place because this was disgusting today. This is disgusting. As far as Northwestern goes, by the way, I'm not getting too excited about them. It was another Fitzgerald win, right? Scrappy, tough, kind of what you expect from this team. It's exactly what I expect from this team all the time. This is what this is what you have to expect. It, they're constantly that team. Now, I will say this, since we are over, overly talking about uh, sports and sports betting, and I mentioned TomBartonSports.com, next up, you got... Two weeks to prepare for Duke, for Northwestern. It's at home. Do I look at that game any differently? Not really. I mean, the Northwestern, to me, was going to be the favorite in that game. I think it's a tough game. They do have two weeks to kind of relax. All right. But, guys, Nebraska takes on North Dakota next week. They don't have that week off. September 3rd, next Saturday, they have North Dakota on tap. North Dakota at home. And here's where you go from a sports broadcaster to a handicapper. Because I just bashed Scott Frost. I just buried him. Not only did I bury him, I put the dirt on. I put the flowers, the gravestone. I'm clicking it out, right? 
I, Scott Frost is done. Against North Dakota, what do you think the line's going to be? Because I think everyone's going to expect them to come out and absolutely humiliate this team. I think everybody's going to expect Scott Frost on this big bounce back. I think the line is going to show Scott Frost with this huge bounce back. And I think Nebraska is going to be a sizable favorite despite the loss today. Is there value there in case they're not? I, 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 don't, I don't know how their heads are going to be. Guys, they're traveling from Ireland back to Nebraska. They're tra- so they're spending the day there. Now, now Northwestern's staying there until Monday or Tuesday, they said. Nebraska's got to spend the day there today, and then they're going to fly out on Monday. Maybe they get back to campus Monday or Tuesday. How many practices can they get in before Saturday? And do you think that this is an angry team, or do you think that this is a team that's hanging their head? You think there's a team that's going to be pumped up to go out there and blast that team? Or do you think they're going, okay, season's over. Oh, this is terrible. I tend to think that they're a head-hanging kind of team. That's what I'm looking at. All right, before we take our quick time out here, we do have two games. Uh, Vanderbilt, wow, they still haven't scored in like four minutes. So it's 56-10, about 13 minutes left into the fourth. That game has been long over for a little while now. Uh, Vanderbilt, it was 14-7 after the first even going into the half, it was only 21-10. And then Vandy made the halftime adjustments, absolutely exploded with a 35-point third quarter, humiliating Hawaii right now. Vanderbilt, the SEC team, the team that probably everybody went out there and bet, and according to the numbers, everybody did go out there and bet. Uh, they are handling their business. Nevada is struggling with New Mexico State in New Mexico. They're up 20-12, to but... Time is running out for New Mexico State. They're up 20 to 12. Nevada, they also have the ball. It's about two, a little over two minutes to play in that game. They also have the ball on the 26-yard line. So a field goal there secures this one, but it's not what you want to see. I mean, you know, Nevada couldn't couldn't do much in this game. New Mexico State is not known for their defense guys at all. They the Wolfpack is struggling mightily to move the ball all day today. I'm not even giving overly great credit to their defense because New Mexico State just doesn't throw the ball. I mean, they literally just don't throw the ball. They, they just run it time and time and time again. This has been a run-fest game all game long. Looks like Nevada's probably going to seal this one up. Like I said, a little over two minutes to go. Second down, Nevada is on New Mexico's 26-yard line going in, and they have an eight-point lead. So any points here will be the death knell for New Mexico State. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, I want to take a quick glimpse at next week's games, the key games in college football. Then in hour number two, we're going to get into Major League Baseball. And I have a lot of NFL news I want to touch on that will impact how you're looking at the NFL season. A lot of position battles and some injuries happen today. All that and more right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back to Wave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here, taking you two hours. Talking college football, and, and this is week zero. At least that's why what they're calling it. Week zero in college football. So we don't have huge matchups on the board. Again, nice win by UNLV. Uh, they do get next week off to kind of revel in the win. Got the win under your belt. I don't care who it was against. A win is a win is a win. The only major impact game really was, nope, Nebraska, which may have cost Scott Frost a job. 
Uh, over Overall, nothing else really to look at. You want to take a look at North Texas, who is uh, the week three opponent for UNLV. They had a nice win on the road today. Sure. But next week starts all the fun, and that's the real big games. And they do try to schedule some huge games early on, even if they're not conference games. So I want to kind of take a quick look down at these. On Thursday, the backyard brawl, West Virginia, Pittsburgh. Pitt is a seven-point favorite. Look, I just I, I know that Pitt had a lot working for them last year, but it really was. At, at the time, it was Pickett, and he was the best player in the draft. I mean, in the, in the league. It's just as simple as that. I can't lay points, even though I think that Pitt is a better team than we expect them to be. They are at home, seven points. They It makes sense to go that way. I just can't do it. I, I can't do it. it. It's too much there. You do have the Tennessee against Ball States, but they're laying 34 points. I think Penn State-Purdue can be interesting. Penn State on the road is the three-point favorite there. That could be an interesting game. Uh, that's the 8 o'clock Fox game next week. That makes a little bit of sense as being one of those kind of pump-up games. But look, we do have games all week, basically. So that's Thursday night. We got a lot. Friday, we have some games. Michigan State, Western Michigan, hey, it's a 20-point spread, but gives us something to watch, something to bet on as well. I think that when you look at Indiana, Illinois, it doesn't overly impress everybody. But Illinois has already got a win under the belt. Indiana's only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. That could be interesting. That's in Indiana. Big statement game. If Illinois comes in and wins that game, now they're 2-0. and Now they got things working with a new coach. That could be interesting. TCU at Colorado, I, I don't understand this at all. I, I just don't. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm sitting back and trying to tell you guys, hey, go sign up at TomBartonSports.com. Um, you know, come and come and check it out. I'm I want you guys to get my picks. Look, I'm I'm giving you one here. I just don't get how Colorado is even going to compete this year. I think Colorado is going to be the worst teams in the country. Their over under is set at three and a half. It's at three in some spots as well. I know they're at home. I know it's game one. TCU is not supposed to be bad this year, and they're only you could find them at minus 10, 10, 10 and a half. How 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 are we not hammering this game? Again, from a watching perspective, maybe it's not the greatest game out there, but from a betting perspective, I, look, I have Colorado as a futures play under for wins. I just don't think that this team is going to compete. I really don't. So, you know what? Uh, look, I know it's on the road. Don't care. That's a Friday. Then we get into Saturday. Um, you have the big boys against garbage team. Texas A&M takes on a Sam Houston. Michigan takes on a Colorado State uh, you know, those kind of teams. I do think that East Carolina at home could be a little interesting. North Carolina State, everyone's is assuming, could be a top 10 team. They're ranked at 13 right now. They're only 10-point favorites on the road to East Carolina. That could be one of those interesting games. You want an under-radar game to go bet on? How about UConn that showed a little life today against Central Connecticut? They won't line that game until late, but that that could get a little fun. That could, that could be a little fun. Right away, an ACC conference game, um, uh, uh, you know, on the ACC network, an ACC events in Big Ten, uh, Boston College, Rutgers, uh, nobody expects them to compete, but that could be an interesting watching kind of game. You then get into the big boys, right? Georgia, Oregon is the Chick-fil-A kickoff game of the week. That is going to be the game everyone's paying attention to. Oregon comes in at number 11. Georgia comes in at number three. Georgia is 17 and a half point favorites over Oregon. Look, I know Oregon isn't what they once were, and they have a terrible history of kind of traveling to the south. And all these teams, 
early on in the season. They go to the South. They go to the SEC land. They take on the SEC team, and they kind of get spanked right off the bat. Um, it used to be kind of, well, you have to schedule an SEC team. Now they're just doing it and kind of getting the paycheck, putting it in their pocket, and getting spanked. Georgia lost a ton, a ton this year. They really, really got hurt, and they lost a lot. I'm looking at this Georgia team, though, and they're just too powerful. I know they lost a ton. And they lost and the most players ever selected in the NFL draft ever came from Georgia last year with 15 players. They're all gone. They're all off this team. So Georgia's got to kind of rebuild here. I, I will not lay the 17 and a half points against Oregon, uh, but there's no chance you can get me to take Oregon. I, I think that Georgia, too well coached, too well recruited. They don't kind of fail. They kind of rebuild and reboot, and that's kind of what I expect there. Oklahoma is 30-point favorites over UTEP. That's a UTEP team that just lost it. I think the instinct is going to be everyone jump on Oklahoma. I just have concerns. New quarterback, new coach, new culture there. UTEP already has a game under their belt. I get it. They only scored 13 points today against North Texas. I get it. It was at home. I get jumping all over Oklahoma, but I think everybody will. You're going to see that 30-point spread go up to like 34 or 5. I think it jumps 3 or 4 points at least, and all of a sudden I'm jumping off of that. How about Cincinnati, Arkansas? Number 19 against number 23 in Arkansas. Here we go again. A team that wants to compete, wants to be a top 25 team, wants to be that kind of, okay, here we go. We're here uh, going on the road in the SEC in week one. And Arkansas is only a six-point favorite here. Here we go, though. What did Cincinnati have last year? Their best players are gone. Their best players left. From a magical season, sure, but their best players left. Now, I'm not thinking that Arkansas is going to be any world beater at all. I don't think Arkansas is going to be overly too good this year at, at all. I, they're, they're, they'll be a fine team. They'll be a solid team. But I'm not getting crazy about Arkansas. When I look at this and I go, Cincinnati lost a ton, and they were that team, and, and, and only getting only given six. Arkansas kind of makes a lot of sense there. USC, we're going to get the debut there of Coach Riley. 35-point favorites against Rice at home. Uh, am I crazy for, for saying maybe Rice plus the 35? I don't know. I probably won't touch that game. Utah-Florida. This is a game that I think is going to be a lot better than people think. This is a 7 o'clock game, East Coast time, uh, next Saturday. Utah's only two-point favorites in Florida. Here we go again. Going to the SEC. It's week one. I think Utah has a chance to go real far this year. I think Utah has a legit shot this year to actually make the college football playoff. But they've got to win this game. They can't. They can lose this game and still make it, but it'll be a lot harder. If they win this game, people will start paying attention to Utah. If they win this game, the world will start paying attention to Utah and who they are and what they can do. If they win this game, they're only a two-point favorite. It's on the road. I think that they're, they're the better team. Look, it's it's the number seven ranked team in the country, and they're only giving two. Why? Because Florida's in the SEC. It's a home game. It's week one. You know the Gator fans are going to be out in full force, and they're going to be, you know, oh, yeah, it's got it's to be the Gators. It's, I mean, it's just got to be them. That's going to be uh, something to pay attention to there. Alabama takes on Utah State. We just talked about Utah State, what they did today. Alabama's a 40-point favorite at home. Another roster, a lot of turnover, but does it really ever turn over? Utah State going on the road in the SEC. All these teams on the road in the SEC. Yeah, that's what the SEC does, right? Makes you go on the road, face them in their house. That's what they do. Um, and, and we have that game going on. Uh, 40 points is a lot of points, but, man, Alabama may just pitch a shutout. 
Will Anderson's the best player in college football. I don't care about the quarterback. Will Anderson's the best player in college football. 7.30 that night on ABC East Coast time, 4.30 Vegas time. Ohio State, Notre Dame. Number two, Notre Dame. Number five, I'm sorry, number five, Notre Dame. Number two, Ohio State. Ohio State's 17-point favorite. Number two team in the country against number five team in the country. They are 17-point favorites. Look, I like the total. Ohio State's offense is going to be absolutely relentless this year. It's going to be excitingly relentless. I think they set all kinds of records this year. I think they have just the dynamic offense. But I can't lay 17 points in an opening game. I get it. Look, it's at the horseshoe. It's in Ohio State. I can't lay 17 points in the opening game. And you Notre Dame backers out there, you got me all confused because, you know, this, this is Notre Dame is just that team, right? That they fail at the end of the year. They're 0 7, the last seven games at the end of the year, um, you know, in the, basically when they push them into the title game. It, it does, none of that matters to me. Ohio State, it's can you keep up? And, I think Ohio State's kind of one of those teams that this year they're going to win with offense all day long. I just don't like laying 17 points. I I, I I think Ohio State wins, probably wins comfortably. I cannot lay 17 points in that spot. Sunday, we have one game on Sunday. LSU, Florida State's the All-State-Louisiana kickoff. Florida State looked good today. They looked good against Duquesne. Uh, they look like they could run the ball. LSU's a three-point favorite. At the Caesar Superdome, which will never be easy to say because it's the Mercedes Superdome, but at the Caesar Superdome, LSU is a three-point favorite against Florida State. Florida State did look good. I watched almost the entire game. They ran the ball real effectively. Their cornerbacks and safeties are really fast, really explosive, really athletic, but you can run on this team. I didn't love the linebacker play today. I didn't like the lack of a pass rush today. And I have all kinds of problems with Travis. Now, I don't know with this LSU team, Brian Kelly's first game there in LSU, he's going to want to make a statement. He's going to want to be that guy. I'm shocked that it's only three. If this line was like four or five, it would make a lot more sense. Even six, I'm shocked it's only three. It's only three. Why? Because people believe in Florida State, I I am shocked about that. That's Sunday. Monday, we have one game, Clemson-Georgia Tech, the Chick-fil-A kickoff. Um, I'm not sure Georgia Tech scores this year. And not only in this game, I mean overall. I mean, that's how bad I think Georgia Tech is going to be. I, I give Georgia Tech maybe one win. I think they are going to be pathetically bad. They have the least returning starters in the entire ACC. Clemson's coming in. It's in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. In Atlanta, Georgia, it's going to be a nightmare game. Jump on this early because after the weekend, after the bailout, everyone's going to be looking for the bailout, and the bailout's going to be Clemson. Everyone's going to be looking to go jump on Clemson. I'm not sure Georgia Tech scores. I'm telling you now, Georgia Tech is just a bad, bad football team this year. They're returning the fewest starters, like I said, and they weren't good last year. So you go, okay, that's okay. No, no, no. Looking at the look at headlines, Basically, they might be favored in about two games this year. This is a Clemson team that wants to make a statement. DJ wants to erase all the problems that he had last year. So we have a good weekend of football coming up next weekend. I wanted to kind of give you my overall quick preview because we have games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Monday. Lots of college football. It is here. Embrace it. And hey, for you and video fans out there, uh, embrace your 1-0 record. 1-0 is 1-0 no matter who you beat. All right, 
Let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back in the second hour, we will get into NFL. I have some news, some notes, some training camp wins. I got some injury news to pass along to you as well. And we're going to get into a little bit of Major League Baseball. The New York Yankees. What? I, I can't even explain what happened to our old Chapman today. I will get into that. I will get into some of the pennant races. Seattle melted down again today. I have a problem with a lot of Seattle things as well. All that and more right after this, right here on Heat Wave Sports. Are you ready? Now back to Heatway Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Hour number two of Heatway Sports. Tom Barton here, running solo tonight. Tim Unglesby will be back tomorrow night. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Guys, I want you to go check out TomBartonSports.com. I mean, this is the push. You got to get in. I already have a college football win under my belt. I'm red hot right now in Major League Baseball. This week, I have just absolutely exploded. I have a baseball play up tomorrow. I have all my college future plays up. I have all my NFL futures plays up. We're going to have games Thursday. We're going to have games Friday. We're going to have games Saturday. We're going to have games Sunday. We got a game on play on Monday. This is the time to jump on board at TomBartonSports.com. And look, like, like, like I've told you guys for now, going on 12 years, 12 years being on the radio, 12 years being on the radio, being a sports talk host that, oh, by the way, happens to give you guys winners all the time. This is not a show that is just you know, pushing, oh, buy my stuff. Buy, I, I, no, no, we talk sports first and foremost. Uh, but I could use your help, guys, and I, you could use my help. It's one of those kind of things, right? I, I want to get the word out. I want to help the new people. There are so many people out there that are brand new to sports betting that just don't understand a lot of the intricacies that go with it. They think they could just run with this and say, oh, okay, great. I'm going to be a great sports better. Um, this is what I do, right? This is my only job. I don't have like another side job or another gig, and then I kind of sports bet for fun. No, for 12 years, this is what I do. This is my job. You guys have other jobs. So even if you're winning, jump on TomBartonSports.com and see what game I have because I only have one or two games a day. Even if you're winning, hey, now you could double up. Now you could double the winning. I don't do commission. There's no upgrades. There's no extra fees. There's nobody calling you telling you, hey, can you put $10,000 on this game? No, no, no. I don't even care what you bet. Bet $25 a game. Bet $2,500 a game. Bet $25,000 a game. Everyone's getting the same plays. It really doesn't matter to me. And it's for one price, 30 full days of plays. If you sign up today, that means you're going to get into October. I'm going to extend you guys into October. You're going to get every college football play, every NFL play, every Major League Baseball play that I give out, all of it at TomBartonSports.com. All right, let's get into the NFL. Because the NFL always moves the needle. NFL moves the sports betting needle. It moves the sports fan needle. It moves everything. And in the NFL today, you know, there are a few things that we look at and we just say, all right, does that mean anything? Some of the position battles that are going on, we have to question, does it mean? Some of the injuries that went on, we kind of have to question, okay, uh, what does that mean? But I think a lot of stuff that gets, I, I guess, put out there, we'll say, at the end of the, the summer, at the end of the year, where college football is starting to come into focus, kids are kind of going back to school, you get your last kind of weekend, three-day weekend in there, and maybe you're not paying attention, and oh, well, you know what, the, the malaise of the preseason is over, and we're looking at, you know, there, there's two weeks to go, right? Two weeks to go until the NFL 
for everybody except for uh, the Bills and the Rams kickoff, two weeks to go. This is the time to pay attention to these, these news drops, we'll call them. So first and foremost, let's talk about the position battles because Geno Smith wins the job in Seattle. Uh, Geno Smith won the job just as much as Drew Locke lost the job. From everybody that I paid attention to in Seattle and the reporters that I knew, they said that it was a matter of Drew Locke say, you know, okay, here, we're going to give you an opportunity. Okay, Drew Locke, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dangle this in front of you. Okay, Drew Locke, we're going to kind of tell you, you have a chance, but go win us over. And he did the opposite of that. They wanted Drew Locke to win this game, this job. They wanted Drew Locke to kind of be the guy. They wanted him to impress and he just flat out didn't do it. He just flat out couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, he did the opposite. If Drew Locke would have played mediocre and Geno Smith would have played a little bit better than him, we could be sitting here talking today, or probably would be sitting here talking today, uh, about something very, very different. I think we would have been sitting back and talking today uh, about a Drew Locke-led Seattle team. But no, he's not, right? And so you look at it and you go, okay, forget about forget about that. He's just not that guy. And Geno Smith is. What are we getting Geno Smith? You know, I don't think that Geno Smith is the train wreck that everybody wants to make him out to be. I do not think that Geno Smith is a good quarterback, okay? Um, but I also don't think he's somebody that, that can't win games. Now, I don't like Seattle as a team. They did try to bulk up their offensive line. I do kind of like Penny. He still has Metcalf. He still has Lockett. Um, He did have some success with them last year. Don't forget that. I don't love Geno Smith, but a 10-year veteran in this league can get some wins. And I had Seattle pegged as probably the worst team in the league. Probably the team that was going to win one or two games, no matter who started. But with Geno Smith, I think they can pull out more games than with Drew Locke. This is the right decision. He is a guy that he could throw it downfield. He averaged seven yards per attempt in the three starts last year. He's going to be solid, and that's all you're asking for. What kind of numbers over the course of a full season am I I looking for? You know, I mean, not eye-popping, but he can manage a game. So he gets the job, he wins the job, and you start to talk about the full season. This was a team that I honestly believe that they could win, I don't know, two or three games. I, I mean, that that's where, really, where I had them at. With Geno Smith now at the helm, I mean, can, can we find four? Or are they still that team? Week one at Denver. The world, by the way, is on Denver. Everybody loves Russell Wilson in this spot. The world is on the Denver Broncos. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know. Seattle at home. Monday night football team at home. I think that's going to be a little bit closer than people expect. But, okay, that's a loss. San Francisco's a loss. Can they beat Atlanta and Marcus Mariota in Seattle week three? Yeah. Yeah, they can. I tend to think that they do. That's one. Can they go to Detroit? I'm not ready to say that Geno Smith could win on the road. But that's not out of the question. We'll say one. At New Orleans, no. Arizona. At the Chargers, no. The Giants at home? Long flight. Daniel Jones, Geno Smith. It's a toss-up game. That could be two wins right there. At Arizona, Tampa Bay, neutral site, bye week. Vegas at the Rams. Carolina at home could be a win. San Francisco at home, no. At Kansas City. Jets at home, 
certainly could be a win in the Rams. I mean, their high watermark to me is if they beat both New York teams, Carolina and Atlanta. Maybe they sneak a Detroit on the road out there. I'm not ready to say that they're going to go on the road and win, but maybe they sneak a road win against Detroit. I can't see them beating San Francisco, New Orleans, Chargers, Arizona, the Rams, or Kansas City on the road. So if everything falls totally right and Geno Smith plays above his head, they're a five-win team. They're a five-win team, but I don't think that they beat Detroit on the road. So that gives them Atlanta, both New York teams, and maybe Carolina. And I don't think they beat Atlanta, both New York teams, and Carolina. I'm looking at this team, even with Geno Smith, as I'm walking through the schedule with you guys. I mean, to me, they're a two-win team. Maybe four. Look, they could squeak out four. You could win against Atlanta, sure. You could certainly beat the Jets and the Giants at home and Carolina at home, sure. I just, I think Carolina is a lot better than people give me credit for. I think that Carolina, if Christian McCaffrey's healthy specifically, but I think Carolina goes in there and wins that game. And I'm not sure that the Jets and the Giants both can't win that game. And I'm not sure Atlanta, I mean, could I see 0-17? I mean, listen, if Drew Locke was starting, I could see 0-17. I can't see 0-17 here, guys. Not 0-17. Um... This is a team that could start 2-1. and one. They might beat Denver week one. They could start 2-1 and one and then not win another game for the rest of the year. I, I think that they are a – I think it's fair to say, to me, their high watermark is four wins if I squint really hard five. I'm going to say their high watermark is four wins, but they're more of a more of a two-win team to me. That's with or without Geno Smith. It doesn't really matter. I do believe, if you guys are fantasy players out there um, – I do believe Geno Smith helps out Rashad Penny. I think that Smith winning the job helps helps out Lockett, helps out Metcalf. I, I think that they're going to be better than we think. How about Baker Mayfield? Baker Mayfield wins the job. Sam Donald out for over a month. Now he's going to be out. Look, it's Baker Mayfield's job, period. The end. I mean, that's just the way that it goes. It is Baker Mayfield's job. Now, Carolina is a different kind of team. The day they traded for Baker Mayfield... And I had this on my Sports Garden Network show last week. I had a a guy from the Charlotte Observer come on, talk to me about Carolina, because I'm starting to buy into maybe this team is a playoff team. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with how weak the NFC is. I mean, you have Dallas, you have Philly. You have Minnesota, you have Green Bay. You have Tampa Bay. And then you have the West. So, uh, you know, the, the West without Seattle, by the way. So do I think that... Carolina could squeak into the conversation? Yeah, I do. And their their schedule is half the reason. Baker Mayfield is the other half. Baker Mayfield has never been explosive, but Baker Mayfield has weapons. Moore is a weapon. McCaffrey's a weapon. On defense, guys, Brian Burns is a great defensive lineman. Jeremy Chin is one of the best defensive backs in the league. This team has weapons. This team can win. And the problem is Matt Rule's just not a very good coach. But you look at Carolina... Now Baker Mayfield wins the job, and he secures the job, and I'm starting to look at futures plays. I'm starting to think, okay, are they a playoff team? Can I find a playoff team for them? And you pull up the schedule, right? Week one against Cleveland, everybody loves everybody loves Carolina in this game. And I get it there at home. Oh, but I think that's going to still be a tough game. I'll give them the win because everybody wants to give them a win, but it's a tough game. At the Giants, they could win that game. That's 2-0. Home against New Orleans. Now, I'm not going to do that. Look, if I gave him the Giants in Cleveland, I'm not going to give him New Orleans, although that's a very winnable game. At home, that's a winnable game. But I'm going to give him 2-1. and one. I think that's fair. 
Arizona is going to be a loss. San Francisco is going to be a loss. Although both of them are winnable games because both of them are, are at home. So I got two wins, maybe three, but I'm going to say two. At the Rams, you're not winning. Tampa Bay, you're not winning. Even though that's a division game on the road. At Atlanta, let's say they split against Atlanta and then at Cincinnati. So they have three, maybe four wins. At Baltimore, not winning that game. Home against Denver, no. Going into the bye week, they're still only a four-win team. So you got to start picking up some wins here if, if I'm thinking that maybe they could push for a playoff spot. At Seattle, okay, five. Pittsburgh at home, not sure. Detroit at home, sure, that's six. At Tampa, New, at New Orleans. I mean, that's the problem here. I want to believe in this roster. I want to believe in Baker Mayfield. I want to believe that this team is better than what we think that they are. But finding the wins is a little bit rough. Finding these wins is hard. We're going to know everything we need to know about Carolina after the first three weeks. Even, even You know what? You can even say after the first five weeks. They have four home games. It goes Cleveland at New York, New Orleans, Arizona, San Francisco. First five weeks. Here's the thing, and this is what is alarming in a lot of ways. They should be able to win three of those games. They could very well win four, maybe even five. They got four of the home games and then go to New York. They could win five games. Baker Mayfield could be on top of the world. But what if they don't? That Cleveland game is no layup. On the road, no layup. Then they got to face Winston, Murray, Trey Lance. Three tough quarterbacks, you know, different kind of quarterbacks. All at home, I get it. Uh, what if he's 1-4 and four or 0-5? Oh and, and the Baker Mayfield experiment isn't working out. I don't think that will happen. But what do you do? That's, by the way, right around the time Sam Donald might be coming back. Do they make the switch? Because Matt Rule's job is on the line. We're going to know everything we need to know about the Carolina Panthers basically by mid-October. And you can even say, you can even say after the first three weeks, I mean, if they turn around and they go 3-0, and the next two weeks almost don't matter, right? Because you could lose at Arizona and San Francisco and still hold your head high at 3-2. and And if you, if you somehow split them at 4-1, and oh, man, you're, you're, you're right and high. But if you go 0-3, Cleveland, New York, New Orleans, it, it, that's, that's dangerous. And I'll tell you what, and this is why it's dangerous as a sports better. The world loves Carolina in week one. The world loves them. People love Carolina week one against Cleveland. Jacoby Brissett looked terrible against the Bears. Jacoby Brissett, ah, he's not Deshaun Watson. I'm not sure that Cleveland's still not a better roster. Cleveland certainly has the better head coach. Cleveland certainly has the better defense, and I like Carolina's defense, but they have the better defense. I'm not sold that just because of an emotional attachment that everybody wants to root against Cleveland now, I'm not sold that Carolina wins that game. And if they don't win that game, Baker Mayfield wins that game, guys. Baker Mayfield revenge game. It, the script is written, right? Carolina's 1-0. Baker Mayfield revenge game. Ah, oh, the script is written. Everybody looks at it in a good good light. Ah, oh, that's great. Baker Mayfield beats Cleveland. Week one. Ah, oh, everybody's happy. But what if they lose? If they lose that game, I could certainly see them going on the road and losing next week at New York. I could certainly see this kind of being on the shoulders of Baker and dragging him down. As great as the story could be if he beats Cleveland, his season, his career, and the Carolina Panthers' career, let's be honest, and Matt Rule's career, all could spiral downhill if he loses that game in Cleveland. It's a game everyone's pointing to. It's a game everybody likes Carolina. It's a game everybody wants Carolina to win. 
Certainly so do I. But that game has so much importance to that franchise, to that coach, to that quarterback. It's a lot of pressure on the Carolina Panthers. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. Lots more NFL talk and Major League Baseball right after this, right here on Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heatwave Sports, hour number two. I am Tom Barton. For Heatwave Sports, go write us at, at Tom Barton Sports, HW Sports as well, over on Twitter, 876-1340. That gets you on board. And we are talking a little NFL. Talked about the jobs being one. Well, there were some injuries that I definitely want to talk about. Um, and they don't seem like big injuries today. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a big thing. Obviously, we got the Sam Darnold news, but we sort of knew about that. Uh, but two teams lost kickers, and for different reasons, Zane Gonzalez, the Panthers, like I said, this is a team that wants to kind of push for a playoff spot. They lose their starting kicker, I, I mean, days, two weeks before opening day. That, that's rough. I mean, that that is rough. He it looks, they're calling it significant, quote-unquote, and they're calling it long-term. So they will be in business looking for a new kicker. Uh, same thing with the Bills. They lost their punter. Completely different reasons. You know, guy, uh, uh, all kinds of problems with that. But they released their punter for a team looking for Super Bowl aspirations. That's not what you want at all for, you know, whatever reasons it may be. And these are reasons where you had to boot him right off the team. Um, it, those are, are alarming kind of situations, right, that you lose a kicker at that point, and you're a Super Bowl-challenging team, that's never a good situation. The last thing I wanted to talk about um, was Brady. And the, the Brady news, Brady's, you know, look, he takes time away from the team, and it's a weird situation. Tom Brady steps away from the team, and it's a little, it's a little unusual. It's a little weird. Um, never, never really given an excuse, never given a reason. There's two ways to look at this. Way number one is, hey, guy's been in the league for like 50 years. No big deal. He knows what's going on. He knows the offense. He basically created the offense. Um, He's worked with all these players before. It's the same core with Evans and Godwin and Fournette. And he should be perfectly fine. Tom Brady has two weeks to ramp up. He's the best in the game. The... Division is a joke. I mean, let's be honest. The division is an absolute laughingstock. They could stumble their way to 10-11 wins, and 10 wins will probably win this division. And, okay, no big deal. Much to do about nothing. And Tom Brady kind of came out, and he said, I'm 45 years old. There's a lot of you-know-what going on. I'll, I'll say you-know-what. He said S-H-U-know. Um, and that, that's how he explained his 11-day leave. Was it? Yeah, that he wanted to take that retirement trip that he already planned that was non-refundable. Maybe that's what it is. He wasn't on the mass Singer and all that nonsense. Okay. A lot of it from the team is how you have to kind of decipher this. Because the one way to look at it is is this way. It's no big deal. Who cares? It's no big deal. Who cares? Uh, It's Tom Brady. And a lot of the team looked at it in those contexts and through those, those eyes. A lot of the team looked at it as, ah, who cares, right? He's got he's got things going on. He's got a personal life. 
Uh, one of the players came out and said, you know, life is more than just football. Okay. Even for Tom Brady. Yes. So the players didn't mind. The clubhouse didn't mind. The fans probably shouldn't mind. Nobody should mind. That is one way to look at this. It's Tom Brady. Let him do what he wants to do with his big cheeks. <laughs> By the way, I, doesn't it look like he got cheek implants, uh, but let him do what he wants to do. Let him be who he wants to be. It's Tom Brady. And we know who Tom Brady's going to be. We know how much work he's going to put in. We know he could hit the ground running. We expect him to be perfectly fine. All of that is kind of the rhetoric that we're hearing. All of that is kind of the rhetoric that is just being thrown around for the good side of it. But there is a counter side to all that with the Brady situation. And the counter side is, yes, while Brady has been around forever, he also has never missed time this late in training camp. He's never missed time this late in the summer. It's easy to say, oh, it should be perfectly fine. Tom Brady is a self-admitted man of ritual, right? He's a disciplined guy. He hasn't eaten bread in 20 years, right? I mean, this is Tom Brady is disciplined. He's going to go about rituals. Anybody that has kids out there, you know what happens when you know a kid has a, a three-day weekend or some time off. Things go crazy. Everything gets nuts. Oh, why? Because you are not in your structure. You need structure. And athletes are, are self-admitted structural people. Uh, this year, Garrett Cole was like six minutes or seven minutes late to coming out to the mound, had a bad game, and blamed it on the six or seven minute delay because he's such a structured player. Uh, Tom Brady has said I, he's a structured player. He needs the discipline. He needs the structure. He likes things the way that he likes things. So that's number one. Number two, while it is an easy division, sure, right? I mean, okay, yeah, they could go out there, roll the ball out, and probably win that division against a Panthers team that we just talked happily about and got to about six wins. Atlanta probably fighting for the first overall pick in the draft. And the Saints are hoping that they're basically a wild card team, maybe a 500 team. Yes, Tampa Bay should have no problem going out there this year and being perfectly fine and winning that division. But shouldn't it be more than winning a division when you have a 45-year-old quarterback? Shouldn't it be about getting that first round by? And looking at the Rams who just won the division, don't you want that game at home rather than traveling to L.A.? Don't you want the game at home rather than potentially traveling to freezing cold Green Bay with your 45-year-old body or traveling to Philadelphia, hostile territory, or going to Big D in Dallas, right? Don't you want that game in that situation? Maybe San Francisco, I don't want to leave you guys out. You want that, that more and more than just the division. That's number two. There's also the idea that, look, Tom Brady's played with these guys before. He knows it. Oh, yeah, they, they go through the paces. Listen, he has played with Mike Evans before. He has played with Godwin. He has played with Fournette. But he's playing with three new offensive linemen, guys. I, I thought Tampa Bay was one of those teams that I'm looking at and saying they can win the Super Bowl this year, and they lost three offensive linemen. Tom Brady is playing behind a brand new offensive line. Tom Brady has a rookie running back that very well could be spelling Leonard Fournette. Tom Brady's playing with Chris Godwin, who's coming in here off of an injury, it's a different Chris Godwin. Russell Gage, who he didn't play with last year. While he has played with Cameron Bray, he has not played without Gronk in a long time. So you take away Gronk. You add new receivers. You add injuries to the receiving core. You add a potential rookie running back that's going to have to spell some, some of Leonard Fournette. And then you take away three offensive linemen. 
And then you get into the idea of, well, you know what? He knows the system. He's basically created the system. Well, he doesn't have his head coach on the sideline. And maybe that was a good thing. Maybe people are looking at that in a good light. It's a new coach. New coach, three new offensive linemen, new receiving core. This is not the same team that Tom Brady is used to just rolling the ball out and going for it. I've been a Tom Brady backer for a long time. And I've been a Tom Brady supporter since the day I got on these airwaves 12 years ago. I've been a Tom Brady adamant supporter. TomBartonSports.com probably made as much money on Tom Brady than any other athlete. I loved betting New England. I love betting Tampa Bay when they finally, uh, he went there. But I'm starting to question Tom Brady. And when I watch Tom Brady doing interviews like he never used to do, and you go, ah, you know what, he's getting older. He's a little relaxed in Tampa. He's throwing the Super Bowl trophy across the, uh, the, the, the bay there. He's having tequila shots. And you kind of go, oh, okay, it's a different Tom Brady. It's a more relaxed Tom Brady. I questioned then, is that a good thing? Well, it wound up being a good thing year one. I questioned then. I'll never question Tom Brady at 45 years old, his desire to play. I'll never question Tom Brady at 45 years old, his desire to win. I'll never question that. But I don't like the outside stuff. I don't like him sitting on the barbershop and giving interviews where he's throwing, quote unquote, other quarterbacks under the bus. Really? I, I mean, really? It's out of character. And then taking 11 days away. You could tell me that it's a Belichick thing. But if Tom Brady did this even five years ago, six years ago, if Tom Brady did this, all of a sudden stepped away from the team, wouldn't we be having a different conversation rather than, ah, it's just Brady. He's earned us to give him the benefit of the doubt. I believe it is a medical thing with his family, so we all need to just shut up and move on. I believe that. I believe nobody should be even questioning what his ulterior motives were. And I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is how how is it going to impact the team? I'm looking at this in a very black and white situation. How will it impact his performance and how he's going to play on the team? Now, he went 6 of 8 tonight. He looked good hooking up with Cameron Brady a couple times. And Tom Brady probably doesn't need all that much practice. I feel like Tom Brady is going to be fine. But the front part of their schedule... The first four games specifically, they're absolutely brutal. They're absolutely brutal. And the first four games of the season, as we know, even going back to New England days, Tom Brady gets off to slow start sometimes, right? Tom Brady's not exactly somebody that comes out of summer camp and just looks dynamic. He's just not. Now, they did beat Dallas last year in game one, beat him by two points at home. Brady had a good game. They beat him by two points at home. Year before that, that was that New Orleans game. Lost that game. Okay, they lost uh, 34-23 in in that spot. He's not somebody that traditionally can just go, oh, yeah, I'm counting on him in game one. So this year, you know, you start to go, okay, Brady missed some time. Godwin's not going to be 100%. Coaching change. They lost some players along the way. I know they grabbed Russell Gage, but the the loss of Gronkowski has to be some kind of impact there. So they lost some. Brady took some time away, and you start to go, okay, let's talk about this early part of the schedule. For Tampa Bay, right now, you want to have the conversation that Tampa Bay's still going to win the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm listening. 
I, I don't fully agree because of their offensive line problems. And I, I think that that's being undercut a lot. I, think, I don't think people are talking about the offensive line problems as much as they should. But if you want to say, sit back and tell me they're going to win the Super Bowl, all right, I, I'm listening. You want to tell me that they're going to win the division? I'm going, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Lay it all day long. They're winning this division. No problem. But I do think that they can get off to a rough start. At Dallas, week one, spreads about one, one and a half. That is not a layup game. It's not a layup game against a defense that has Micah Parsons, a defense that really is going to carry this Dallas team this year. This is a defense that is going to be top five in the league, most likely. A very good defense that is going to get after Brady. And I'll say it again, with three missing offensive linemen. I worry about that game. They could certainly start 0-1-1. Then they go to New Orleans. New Orleans has had Brady's number time and time again. You can tell me it was Peyton that has the number, but whatever it is, no matter where he played, no matter what the situation, New Orleans has Brady's number. And it's a division game, and it's on the road. And for whatever reason, that game has got to scare you to death if you're a Tampa Bay fan, if you're a Brady fan. At Dallas, at New Orleans, you could very well be looking at 0-2. You got Green Bay and Kansas City coming in next. That's Rodgers and Mahomes, back-to-back. Green Bay, we could all expect to take a step back this year. They lost some defensive players. They clearly lost uh, Devontae Adams, obviously. But we've also watched over the course of Matt LaFleur's career, uh, now here with Aaron Rodgers year after year after year, they win 13 games. I mean, that's just what they're going to do. They're going to go out there, they're going to win 13 games. They're going to go out there, they're going to win 13 games. And you could say the same thing about Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes this year, um, you know, might have a little chip on his shoulder. People are talking about he's not that great anymore. He maybe uh, somebody had him as not even a top five player. I'm not saying it will happen, guys. I think that they're a better team than New Orleans. I think that they are a better team than Dallas. I think they're a better team than Green Bay. And they're probably still a better team than Kansas City. I think that there is a good chance they go 4-0. But there are concerns here. And it's not out of the question that they start 1-3 and or 0-4. It's not out of the question that Tom Brady taking time away it does hurt him early in the season. It's not out of the question that a new offensive line with three new offensive linemen struggle out of the gate. And you start to break it down and, and you big picture this thing. Let's say they go two and two over the first four. I think that's a fair assessment, but they could do worse. Let's say they go two and two. They beat Atlanta three and two at Pittsburgh, not a layup. At Carolina, not a layup. Baltimore, Rams, Seattle is a layup. At Cleveland, New Orleans, at San Francisco, Cincinnati, at Arizona, Carolina, Atlanta. The schedule is still going to tell you that they're an 11-win team or so. But is that enough to get a first-round bye? It's enough to win the division. Is that enough to get a first-round bye? Is that enough to get this team into a position that they want to only talk about one thing and they only want to talk about Super Bowl? That's what this team wants to do. They are clearly focused. Everybody else could say, oh, we only want to talk about the Super Bowl. No, there are teams that you're happy if you get into the playoffs. Not them. Not them. They are 100% fully on board of Super Bowl or bust. And you start to break down the very minor details. The minor details of three offensive linemen and Godwin, the loss of Gronk, rookie running back behind Fournette, Brady stepping away from the team becomes one of those extra things, doesn't he? I mean, you can't just overlook an 11-day absence. 
It's not like he was just standing on the sideline. I also don't like how kind of it, it was it was handled. He left without nearly saying much. He came back and just basically said, hey, I'm ready to go. Right? I, I mean, that, that's it. During his absence, we heard about the Miami Dolphins inquiry. Maybe he was looking at the Dolphins. During his absence, obviously, uh, UFC president Dana White said Brady was going to sign with the Raiders before the Bucks. Right? Brady went as far to, he was looking for houses in Vegas. He was bringing Gronk along. Gruden killed it. So, a lot of this is just maybe background noise. A lot of this is maybe just who cares. No big deal. Doesn't matter. They brought in Julio Jones. They're going to be fine. They'll figure it out. Maybe a lot of it becomes that. But I'm telling you now, guys, if we're sitting here in early October, or if we're sitting here in in mid-October, and we're going, wow, Tampa Bay got off to a, a rough start. Don't for a second, people are not going to point to this 11-day absence. Now, again, I think he should have taken it if it's for the reasons we think it is for a family member's health. I think he should have taken it. He earned taking it. It's perfectly fine. The locker room didn't have a problem with him taking it. But if the effect on the field starts to go wrong, and if it affects people on the field with a brand new coach and three new offensive linemen, and, and continue to go down that road, I can continue to keep repeating it. If it affects that, don't think for a second that people are going to start looking at Tom Brady and going, yeah, I don't know. It affected you. It bothered you. It had an adverse effect. All right, guys, let's take our last time out. Come on back real quick. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. I have a crazy Yankee injury for you, and I want to talk about Seattle and kind of their spiral downhill here. Everyone's loving Seattle. Everybody's loving it. It looks like they're going to make the playoffs. I see big-time problems with this team. All that and more right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back. Heatwave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. You heard the commercial. Sign up today. TomBartonSports.com. You were already a college football winner. Major League Baseball tomorrow, huge week. we got college football Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to be sitting there at Cabo Wabo on the 8th. I'll be uh, landing, well, I'll be landing basically on the 7th, but I'll be there for the week. So I'll be sitting there Saturday night doing the live show. That'll be fantastic. Um, You guys want to come out to see me, come and hang out, talk some sports, have some drinks, hang out, uh, watch the games. That'll be... uh, that would be a real good time. I, I, I'm, I'm pumped up for that. I really am. I will say this. Um, I don't usually get emotional during games that I have my bets on. I understand it's a roller coaster. I understand this business. But I do get upset about the Yankees. And not because of any bets I'm making, just because they bother me so much because of their just ineptitude at times. They lose a game tonight. In a, in a miserable fashion with a, an error in a, just a terrible way. Okay, get past that. It was earlier in the day, though, that got my blood boiling. Earlier in the day where I was looking out for my heart medication because one of the weirdest things imaginable uh, happened to the Yankees. And I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but Aroldis Chapman is out for the Yankees. He's on the injured reserve. 
or the uh, injured list, they call it now. And, and why? Why is Roldis Chapman <laughs> on the injured list? Well, he's out because of tattoo. He's it, literally, he's on the 15-day injured list because of a tattoo. That's that's what the Yankees put out. The Yankees PR today. They placed left-handed pitcher Roldis Chapman on the 15-day DL retroactive 824 a couple days ago because of he has an infected wound from a recent tattoo. Guys, I can't make this up. This is absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous on so many levels. I, I mean, look, it doesn't matter. He's terrible, right? I mean, he's he's absolutely terrible anyway. But this just kind of shows you how the second half of the Yankee season has been going. I'm a Yankee fan that's sitting here looking at 78 wins, a run differential plus 197, and, and I'm angry. 639 runs scored, and I'm angry. I'm angry because I see the holes in the team. I saw the holes in the team, and they didn't do anything to fix them. And Chapman going down is just a, just a footnote to the hilarity and the ridiculousness that this season has certainly become here for the New York Yankees. I wanted to talk about a couple other teams. Seattle loses a game tonight to the Guardians late. The Seattle bullpen is fantastic. I love that they're calling them the firemen. That's fantastic. Munoz is great. He just didn't have it tonight. Uh, but the thing that I keep, and, and the starting pitching is solid, right? You have Castillo, you have Ray. I, they, they, they're, they're good. Okay, Gilbert and, and even Kirby. The problem is eventually you have to be able to win a slugout. You have to be able to win a game where you're going to have to score some runs. They just don't have it. You know, they have timely hitting, and guys like Mitch Hanniger is nice, and Cal Raleigh is going to hit 20 home runs this year, and he's going to bat 200, and J.P. Crawford is is a fine player, and that you have fine players. Outside of Julio Rodriguez, they just don't have that scary guy in the lineup, that bopper in the lineup. Aguino Suarez, again, he's going to bat 250, he's going to bat, uh, hit some home runs. There's just not that feel with this Mariners team. And I see a lot of sports better specifically really jumping all over the Mariners. And I get it. Their bullpen is fantastic. In a short series, having Castillo, Ray, and Gilbert 1-2-3 is, is just one of those, oh, oh, wow, you know, tough moments. But when you look at their offenses and you compare them to Houston and you compare them to the Yankees and you compare them to the Blue Jays, compare them to the White Sox, compare them to even Minnesota, and they are just woefully, woefully inept. And this is a Seattle team that I'm glad will probably make the playoffs. I'm glad that they're streaking towards the playoffs because, look, that that they did the right thing. They made the right move with Castillo. They sold their future to push for it. That city deserves to see them in it. It's the longest streak in, in sports right now. All right, get into the playoffs. I like all that for Seattle. But, guys, let's not overrate what Seattle is. And this is the time of year where all of a sudden, oh, Seattle wins a couple of games in a row, and you start to go, oh, I, I have visions of greatness in my head. Seattle's a good team. They're a playoff team. They're not this, this team that you should be backing up and betting on to win the World Series? Are we kidding? Come on. And, and I say the same thing about Cleveland as well. Everybody's waiting for Cleveland to get caught. Cleveland's got a lot of things that I still think that they will get caught, but... They could, they could win this division, but they're, they're no threat come playoff time. 
even them with a great eighth, ninth inning guys, they just don't have the, the hit hitting to do it. They just don't. Go to the National League. I did want to mention the uh, Mets and Braves chase. Everyone's concentrating on the Mets and Braves chase. It, it's getting good now. It's a three-game difference. The Mets are in their soft part of the schedule. Atlanta is just in a brutal part of their schedule, but they just keep winning. But do not count on Philly. I told you guys around the All-Star break that the Philadelphia Phillies could be the most dangerous team in the playoffs. I told you guys that then. They've now won six games in a row. Bryce Harper is back. They are still doing this without Wheeler, who's going to come back. They made the move for David Robertson, which I told you was going to be one of the best moves at the deadline. This Phillies team is dangerous, and they're dangerous for all the same things I just said about Seattle. Gum playoff time, if you have a healthy Wheeler, and you go Nola Wheeler 1-2, okay, that's dangerous. If you go have a back end of your bullpen with Robertson and what Brad Hand is doing this year and Dominguez comes back, you have a good back end of the bullpen. And then can you win a slugfest with Schwarber, Castellanos, Real Muto, and Harper? Yes, you can suddenly win in that spot as well. So, when you start to look at the Mets and Braves, it's going to be one of them. Philly's not catching them. They're nine and a half games back. They're not catching the Mets. They're not going to catch the Braves. As hot as they are, they're not. But you get this team into a playoff spot. All of a sudden, team like Seattle, uh, I'm sorry, a team like St. Louis should be on notice because Philly has the one-two punch. A team like Milwaukee can compete because they also have Burns and Woodruff. A team like San Diego I'll, listen, I like Darvish and Musgrove. Give me Philly. A team like Atlanta, I would rather have Nola. And I know that they've performed really well, the Atlanta duo, but the Atlanta duo's young. I'd rather have Nola and Wheeler. The Dodgers, look, I don't know if Kershaw's going to be 100%. I think that they could pose a threat to the Dodgers. And, and the Mets, your one strength, your biggest strength on the New York Mets, I should say, is DeGrom and Scherzer. If you could match zeros with them and get into the bullpen, Philly's bullpen is better than the Mets' bullpen right now. So I think you got to start taking a look and really focusing on Philadelphia making this push. We're looking at the Braves. We're looking at the Mets. That could get real interesting. I think St. Louis is kind of pulling ahead of Milwaukee here. The Dodgers clearly have won that. That St. Louis, that Mets-Philly battle could get really interesting. The Twins-White Sox-Guardians battle Certainly could get interesting, but I'm telling you that Philly could be that team to watch out for. As far as the wild card goes, um, obviously, Philly's in pretty good position. They're two and a half games up on uh, on Milwaukee. Milwaukee's trying to kind of get back into this thing. It's three spots for four teams there. So either Milwaukee, San Diego, Atlanta, or Philly going to be left out of it. I think Atlanta's in a great spot. They're already up nine games. So it's kind of two spots for Philly, San Diego, Milwaukee. San Diego may drop out of this thing, but... We'll pay attention to that. Over in the American League, it's not so decided because Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Seattle are basically in a virtual tie. Baltimore's only a game and a half back. They got Minnesota, Chicago, who are really closer to the division than they are to the wild card. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for me. We're going to be back tomorrow night. Tim Unglesby will be here with me tomorrow night. We're going to go and start our NFL previews. I know we did a lot, a little bit of NFL talk today. I kind of focused on some teams that had 
some preseason quarterback conversations going on. We will get into our preseason preview tomorrow. We're going to begin it. We're going to do it over the next couple of weeks and get into that. Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com. I love you guys to sign up. It's TomBartonSports.com. You're going to get every play that I select there. And listen to me tomorrow morning on over 100 stations across the country. It's hashtag SGN Sports Garden Network. Want to bet a good interview. The writer of a brand new book about Jim Thorpe. If you like the history of sports, man, he is a groundbreaker. So that'll be a good interview. Go check out the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. It's Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube as well. Have a very good night, everybody. This is what it takes. That's the difference. I've been